2: 877 381 877 381 You know, I hate it when I'm not on the air. But sometimes I have to do certain things. And uh, this weekend, I was in Las Vegas and uh, with certain family members. It's something called the Republican Jewish Coalition. I'll fill you in on that a little bit later. It's very, very interesting. And the media reports are extraordinarily misleading. Extraordinarily misleading. But before we do that, I've got a matter to settle here. Here's a headline at Media Matters for America, which is libelous. Flat out libel, any way you cut it. Fox's Mark Levin, quote, All the racists out there We're the ones that make the country work, unquote. Quote, we're the ones that provide the food and harvest it. We're the ones who truck it across the country, unquote. Now, you know, libel law is something I'm actually familiar with. I'm familiar with the line of Supreme Court decisions, even when it comes to public officials. If you edit something in a way that deceives the public that is intentionally malicious, that has as its purpose to destroy the the reputation and character even of a public official. And that's your intent. Then you can be found guilty relatively easily. And if you repeat what someone or some outlet or some group or news organization says, knowing it to be false, intentional and malicious you're responsible too now I made a statement, it was two minutes long last Wednesday responding to the media responding to the democrat party which calls everybody a racist when they disagree with them this clip of two minutes is available everywhere Including at Media Matters. The headline again. All the race, Mark Fox's Mark Levin. Of course I said it on radio. So it should have been. West with one's Mark Levin. But Fox's Mark Levin. Quote. All the racists out there. We're the ones that make the country work. I read that and said. Good lord. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Here's what happened. Cut one. Go. Rochelle Walensky at a hearing today. Uh, how many in the CDC? How many in the CDC uh, are vaccinated? What does she have to say?
3: Go. What percent of CDC employees are vaccinated?
2: We're actively encouraging vaccination in all of our employees and doing a lot of education and outreach in order to get our agency fully vaccinated. And the But the percent? I, I don't have that for you today. Well, I think she should be fine, don't you, Mr. Biducer? $14,000 an employee. Oh, yeah. Shut it down. Shut down the CDC because they're not... This is the way it works. Our rulers abide by different rules. We saw that with these governors, these reprobates. But we, the plebes, the serfs, the servants, we have to comply. Now, there are exceptions. If you're an illegal alien crossing the border... Regardless of whether you have a criminal background, regardless of whether you're dealing drugs, regardless if you're a member of MS-13, you managed to get here, sort of an unknown getaway, I think they call them. Well, then, none of this applies to you. We have two sets of rules. One, for illegal aliens who come into this country, and we don't know about them. And two, the rest of us, law-abiding American citizens who follow the laws and pay our taxes. That's right. We're the ones, you know, the racists, as the media call us. All the racists out there. We're the ones that make the country work. We're the ones that provide the food and harvest it. We're the ones who truck it across the country. We're the ones who put it on the shelves to feed their fat faces. That's correct. Have you ever seen a so-called journalist who's skinny? Have you, Mr. Producer? Almost every damn one of them is overweight. Look at them with their double chins. All right. Mark Levin, Fox's Mark Levin, all the racists out there, we're the ones that make the country work. The sentence before says, we're the ones, you know, the racists as the media call us. We're the ones, you know, the racists as the media call us. Not all the racists out there, we're the ones that make the country work. And so over at Media Matters, and it's written by staff, Media Matters intentionally left out the sentence before this to create an impression throughout the media because it distributes their their pages, their audio, and so forth throughout the media. They intentionally left, we're the ones, you know, the racists, as the media call us, They intentionally left that sentence out of the headline intentionally to leave the impression that I called all of us racists and that we racists are the ones that make this country work when in fact I was mocking the people who call us racists a completely utterly different statement than the one that Media Matters presented. And sent out the hundreds, if not thousands, of media organizations, Democrat organizations, and so forth. And then what happens is that line lives with you for the rest of time. Wikipedia, which is also a reprobate operation, as its founders pointed out, does exactly the same thing. So it will regurgitate this. Other news outlets did regurgitate what Media Matters put out there. So the intentional malicious purpose of Media Matters was to edit what I said, to take it utterly out of context, to put it in an emblazoned headline to use forevermore. To try and libel me. And so we're looking at this very, very carefully. Because I'm not going to put up with this. I don't have a racist bone in my body. I spent my entire life talking about individual liberty. Equality under the law. Due process, equal protection, over and over and over and over again. I've got almost 20 years of radio recordings demonstrating this. Now, I understand it's much more difficult for a public official to confront these kinds of diabolical and evil lies. I got it. And Clarence Thomas is exactly right. It shouldn't be more difficult. Because when a group that was backed by Soros and multi-billionaires and millionaires through dark money contributions... Throws a headline out there that they purposefully and intentionally know is intended to misbrand somebody, to create a narrative, to attack somebody. Their very character, because they they disagree, and we got to destroy Fox, and we got to destroy Levin, and we got to destroy Limbaugh, and we got. I'm not going to put up with this crap. Fox's Mark Levin said, we're the ones you know, the racists, as the media calls. Not all the racists out there, we're the ones that make the country work without any context by purposely editing that lead sentence out. It's not lost on me. And the fact is, the Democrat Party They're surrogates in academia. They're surrogates in media. And many of their members are the true racists and the true anti Semites. And I will demonstrate that to you when we return. I'll be right back. Mark
0: Lubin.
2: In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. Nobody's gonna intimidate me. Nobody. Nobody. I will use every one of my platforms. I will use whatever powers I have to take them on and to confront them. I don't like bullies. I never have. No matter how tough they think they are. No matter how they hide behind skirts of other people. Period. As a kid... I took on bullies who were bigger and stronger than me. Sometimes I won, sometimes I lost. But I was proud of what I did. And that's what my father told me to do. Don't back down. Don't back down. you have to live with that the rest of your life. And I don't back down. Certainly not from these punks. Certainly not from these punks. You might remember back on September 16th. 2021 or if you have a life maybe not this guy philip bump at the washington post wrote a piece the wearisome pro-capital riot activism is in a rally it's a it's in right-wing media this man is mentally unhinged he doesn't get off his fat ass to do an actual report and in this and in this uh so-called news article he writes in part host mark levin is focused on the issue repeatedly meaning january 6 now only the media can and Juney told his audience that, quote, we're hearing that they're in some of the worst jails. Some are being put in solitary confinement when they only have an hour where they can go outside of that. That they're being fed poor food. They're being treated like they're terrorists at Guantanamo Bay where they'd be treated actually better. He added that the events that day were not an insurrection. Here we have a piece last week in the Daily Mail federal judge orders release of January 6th defendant after inspection shows mistreatment of detainees. Following an impromptu inspection of the D.C. jail, a federal judge ordered the release of January 6th defendant Chris Rewarrel over the mistreatment of detainees, plural. The surprise inspection of the jail by U.S. marshals took place last month, but the report from the inspection was not made public until last Wednesday. Due to the findings, U.S. District Judge Royce Lambert said he has zero confidence that the D.C. jail will provide the treatment correctly and not retaliate against Worrell, who has cancer. CNN reported last Wednesday. Judge Lambert called the jail conditions deplorable and beyond belief, ordering Worrell transferred immediately to another jail and then released home to start cancer treatment, the report outlined. The 400 prisoners are being moved out of the jail after the deplorable conditions were uncovered. According to CNN, the Marshal's report found that water was being shut off in many cells, Quote, for punitive reasons, unquote, for days at a time. Toilets were clogged. An inmate who'd been pepper sprayed was, quote, unable to wash and spray for days leading to an infection. The D.C. Department of Corrections staff were, quote, antagonizing detainees, unquote, and, quote, directing detainees not to cooperate, unquote, with U.S. Marshals during their inspection, the agency said, and one DOC staffer was observed telling a detainee to stop snitching. Last month, Lambert called for the Department of Justice to open a civil rights investigation into the matter and held two officials in contempt of court for delaying medical treatment to Whirl. It's more than just inept and bureaucratic shuffling of papers, he blasted. Does no one care? Does no one follow up? I find the civil rights of the defendant has been abused. During the hearing, Lambert said the jail officials failed to turn over critical information that was needed to approve surgery for the accused rioter's broken wrist, and he goes on. Now, Phil Bump was also involved in the Russia collusion conspiracy, as was the entire media, which have never apologized, no resignations, no firings. Here we have a piece, September 16. I'm raising issues that I was told about taking place in this jail. And Phil Bump, as a mouthpiece, as a surrogate for the Democrat Party and for the radical left, In June, Levin told his audience that we're hearing that they're in some of the worst jails and some are being put in solitary confinement where they only have an hour where they can go outside of that. That they're being fed poor food. They're being treated like they're terrorists at Guantanamo Bay where they'd be treated actually better. He added that the events that day were not an insurrection. Now I'm owed an apology by Philip Bump that that'll never happen because he's a clown. He's a moron. He's a miscreant. But here we go again. Philip Bump didn't spend one minute trying to find out what the conditions were in that jail. He could care less about how those people are treated. He cares more about how terrorists were treated at Guantanamo Bay or mass murderers, rapists, long-time felons, are let out the back door, or not treated properly based on whatever it is. But when it comes to these people on January 6th, the overwhelming majority of them who did not commit acts of violence, I've said over and over again, from day one, anyone who committed an act of violence should be punished, obviously. But those who didn't, people who weren't even in the Capitol building, who contacted us and told us that they had to plead to a misdemeanor of trespassing and parading, that's the Washington Post. Might as well be Media Matters. Really quite shocking, don't you think, folks? When we come back, I want to deal with the January 6th Special Select Committee. What exactly are they investigating? And then when we're done that, I want to move on to a number of additional important matters. But I have to hit issues that are front and center. And I'll be right back.
4: You're listening to Denali, the Great One. The Great One. And you can call in now,
2: 877-381-3811. This select committee looking at January 6th has all the markings of a Soviet-style get-even committee. Now, what do I mean by that? The way things used to work, ladies and gentlemen is that whether it's the Soviet Union or Mao's China or whatever it is, anybody who's in positions of authority, they set up these rump entities, all one-sided, gather information, cherry-pick from the information, and then declare a sentence. There's an ongoing criminal investigation relating to January 6th. The Attorney General of the United States said it is the biggest investigation they've ever conducted. Over 600 people have been charged with some form of a crime, including such horrific crimes as trespassing on capital property, which, of course, nobody's ever done before, particularly on the radical left. Now, people who are violent are charged for violent behavior. You don't attack police. But this was not an insurrection. And so this January 6th sort of Stalinist, effort want you to believe it was an insurrection and they want you to believe it was led by Donald Trump and the people around him this has taken a turn a turn that one would expect when you consider who's on the committee and the two never Trumpers on the committee who keep showing up on left-wing TV or with left-wing hosts so this is breaking the House committee investigating the January 6 attack but they're not really when the Capitol issued subpoenas today for six close allies of former President Donald Trump. So you can see what's happening here. Former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn. Former Campaign Manager Bill Stepien. Former Senior Advisor Jason Miller. Uh, foyer, former lawyer uh, to, uh, to the President John Eastman. And uh, I think there's another one in here. I think Bernie Carrick is another. Uh, Let's see. National Executive Assistant on the campaign, Angela McCollum. I could be wrong about Bernie Carrick. I read that in one story, but I haven't seen it anywhere else. So let me pull that one back. Now, ladies and gentlemen, they're not investigating January 6th. They're not investigating the person who was in charge of securing the building the Speaker of the House, they're not going to subpoena anything from her. They're taking their directions from her. This is yet again another setup, another Democrat operation, using our tax dollars and creating the patina of an official House investigation. And I want to remind you that Nancy Pelosi refused to seat individuals that Kevin McCarthy had chosen to sit on the committee. She refused. And you can tell by what the committee chairman says, by what this reprobate Adam Kingsinger says and, of course, Liz Cheney and others, what they publicly say, that there is no intention here other than to try and smear the former President of the United States. And you know, it's interesting, no matter what any of them have said, no matter what any of them have written, there is no tie between any of that, whatever that is or may be, and what took place on January 6th. Nothing. And the House of Representatives, even with this rump, Stalinist-like select committee, has no jurisdiction or authority of any kind to conduct criminal investigations. They're not capable of it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So they're going fishing. They want to find anything they can that might be embarrassing. president may be saying, isn't there anything we can do about this? Tell Pence X, Y, Z. Look at that. He was trying to overthrow this, that, and the other. Right. Doesn't mean any of that. So this investigation, such as it is, isn't an investigation at all. It's another PR effort. Liz Cheney trying to survive. Adam Kingser wants to run for higher office now that his congressional seat has been eliminated by the Democrats in the state legislature and of course the Democrats doing the bidding of their uh, Eva Nancy Pelosi because that's what they do that's what they do and so it's amazing to me that there's no subpoenas about Nancy Pelosi, what she did the days before, nothing absolutely nothing and there won't be any. And there won't be any. All right, I want to move on. The media in America are both racist and anti-Semitic, like much of the Democrat Party. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. And When you embrace this American Marxism ideology, that's the nature of the beast. Michael Eric Dyson continues to show uh, show up on MSNBC despite the fact that what comes out of his mouth is nothing but pure bigotry and hate and vile racism. It's constant. It's constant. And he's not the only one. Now you may have heard some of this today, of course, but you didn't hear me talk about it yet. Why is he on MSNBC? Does he bring some profound intelligence or substance or wit? No. It's because he says some of the most disgusting, poisonous, cancerous things that can be said. They can be said. Now, Winsome Sears is the lieutenant governor elect of the Commonwealth of Virginia. She's obviously black, she's obviously of Jamaican heritage. Her family came to the United States. They love this country. She became a naturalized citizen. She served in the United States Marine Corps. She started a small business. She's been in politics to some extent in Virginia. She runs for lieutenant governor and she wins. And she's supported, not just by black and brown people, but an overwhelming number of white people. Therefore, she's a sellout. I've been talking to you about this now month after month. Because in American Marxism, if you do not embrace Marxism in your minority, it is said, how many times have I said this, that your mind has been colonized, imperialized. That you're nothing but a a black face promoting the white supremacy, white dominant agenda. I have said that day after day. This is what critical race theory is about. This is how it works. And that's exactly what they've tried to do to Winsome Sears. Never mind the fact that Terry McAuliffe defeated two black women to be the nominee of the Democrat Party for governor of Virginia. And so you can see the, the ideological racism and the ideological Marxism has a home in the Democrat Party. It also has a home in the American media. It has a home in the American media. And this guy, Michael Eric Dyson, is a tenured professor. He should be fired. His ass should be thrown out on the curb. And let him make his way. Instead of having a cushy job. But ask yourself. Ask yourself if Michael Eric Dyson would even be allowed on the Fox News channel given his his racist rants and attacks. No way. But not the same at MSNBC and CNN. Anything goes. Cut to go.
4: They want credit for breathing. They want credit for having lungs. They want credit for having hair in the morning or getting up and brushing their teeth. Look, I've made an achievement that should be noteworthy. No, you are doing what uh, all political figures must do, make choices. The problem is here they want they want white supremacy by ventriloquist effect. There is a black mouth moving, but a white idea through the running on the runway of the tongue of a figure who justifies and legitimates uh, the white supremacist practices. Now
2: listen to that one sentence. Media Matters should be talking about him, but they won't, because they're on the same side of this battle: American Marxism. This man is a buffoon. He's a clown. talks about ventriloquist. To say that about another human being who's accomplished, who's accomplished more than this clown has ever accomplished I can tell you that -- is really shocking. You see, it's never been about racism. He's attacking a black woman who's got all these magnificent credentials and she just won an election in a hugely majority white state. And rather than even give her credit, she's a ventriloquist, you see. A black mouth with white supremacist thoughts and words. This isn't about racism. It's not about equality. It's not about equity. Coming out of Michael Eric Dyson's mouth. This is about his Marxist agenda. Which is the whole point about critical race theory. Race is used instead of. The proletarian bourgeoisie. It's white versus black. It's white versus people of color. And what. Lieutenant Governor-elect Sears has demonstrated is they're wrong. Jesus got elected Lieutenant Governor, a female black person, first time in the history of the Commonwealth of Virginia, the South. This is why they hate the Industrial Revolution and capitalism, because the Industrial Revolution demonstrated that Marx was a fraud, that his ideology was thoroughly defective. Marx assumed the great proletariat would rise up and overthrow the bourgeoisie. But it didn't. It became wealthier, it became the wealthiest class, the middle class, the masses, of any country on the face of the earth. And those people who are supposed to rise up and overthrow the government, they're the ones that fly the American flag. They're the ones who celebrate patriotically on certain holidays. They're the ones that go off to war to defend this country, disproving Marxism in so many respects. So they hate the Industrial Revolution. They hate the men and the women who built this society. They hate success. They want redistribution of wealth. And as I've said over and over and over again, this, this model that they set up, oppressed and oppressor. You're now starting to hear it even in, from news outlets on Fox, which is a good thing. Oppressed versus oppressor. It is a fraud That model. It is a fraud. And so when you have clowns. Clowns. Spin doctors. Like this fool. Michael Eric Dyson. Going around. Spinning like a pretzel. American history. And race and so forth. His goal. His goal is the same. As all these others. Which is to unravel this country. And in the meantime, get a lot of TV FaceTime, had people buy his books, be a professor. I think he's a preacher, too. Good God. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. That
4: We can internalize in our own minds, in our own subconscious, in our own bodies, the very principles that are undoing us. He's not so even
2: that- particularly smart. He didn't invent this. We've been talking about this for a while. He's just regurgitating it like a parrot. This is the essence of critical race theory. And Latcrit, by the way, Latino race theory. That these poor suckers, blacks, browns, yellows, whatever, who defend this society, who defend capitalism, who respect the country, who do not throw in with the reprobates, the miscreants, and the malcontents, these poor people are, as they would say, these poor bastards. Just in their minds, and their subconscious. They've sold out. They've been sucked in. Go ahead.
4: blackface uh, speaking in behalf of a white supremacist legacy is nothing new. A white
2: supremacist is- legacy. You see, critical race theory. The white supremacists, the white dominant society. So this clown is a CRT mouthpiece and he goes on TV and this is the crap that he pushes I've got more I'll be right back
0: Mark Levin
2: MSNBC and CNN—they must be proud of the conga line of racist, race baiters, bigots that they bring onto their programs. It's unbelievable. In my view, in my view, that's exactly what so many of these folks are, regardless of race. By the way, Med, may I call you Med? I think I will. He goes on. Go. Grin of those of us who
4: study race that the white folk on the other side and the right wingers on the other side don't understand. This is politics one on one. And this is race, not even one on one. What's beneath one on one? It's the it's the pre-K of race. You say hell understand- are you
2: talking about, you moron? You say you study this issue, you're mumbling and fun. Oh, it's the pre-K. It's not even the K. It's one on one. It's not even one. What the hell are you talking about?
4: Go ahead. That if you tell black
2: people, look, I support a Negro. Nobody said, hey, black people, I support a Negro. Nobody said that. Ah, I mean, maybe the Democrats say that. Maybe they said that when they voted for Obama. I don't know. What do you think, M-E-D? Should be M-A-D, but M-E-D? What do you think? I support a Negro. Go ahead color that
4: I am in favor of. And that person of color No, no, happens... no, no, no.
2: So you study race. You don't study human beings. There's a lot to human beings other than race and pigmentation. Spirit, soul, heart, mind, interests, motivations, imperfections, and on and on and on. There's a lot more to one's life than the race. Except for you. Because you study it. You're obsessed with it. And you're an ignoramus when it comes to it, despite all your studying. On the one hand, your suggestion is people voted for Lieutenant governor Lex Sears because she's black. On the other hand, many people voted for it because they believe in what she said. And either way, according to you, it's racist. It's white supremacy. If you vote for somebody because they're black, you want what? You feel righteous. Meanwhile, if you vote for somebody, not because they're black, but because you agree with their views, well, you voted with a black person. According to you, there's a white mindset. You, sir, are a nut. A nut. Got it? A kook. I'll be right back.
0: He's here. He's here.
2: Let's get going. Jonathan Capehart. He's another radical loon on MSNBC. And folks, I got to tell you something. Radical loons, regardless of their pigmentation, they're radical loons. These guys don't represent people in the black community. They don't go into the black community and seek votes or solutions or anything of the sort any more than their white lunatic counterparts do. They are ideologically driven. And what's amazing to me now is how you can say almost anything on these networks. Anything. Anything. This is sick. Cut three, go.
5: Whiteness is a hell of a drug. Fear worked. And Youngkin won in a state. President Biden won just last year by 10 points.
2: Yeah, but Biden wouldn't win the state by 10 points this year, Jonathan, because Biden sucks. He's destroying the economy and the border and and so forth. And so has 38 support right now. Thirty eight percent. And last time I checked, Jonathan, Biden is white. So what does that have to do with anything? Go ahead.
5: What did all these racist Virginia voters do Tuesday night? in addition to electing Mr. Now just Duncan. listen
2: to that. And this is an MSNBC contributor. What did all those racist voters do? What did all those racist voters do? And there you have critical race theory. This is the truth. And then when you raise it, when you quote them, when you cite their phony scholars and pseudo-intellectuals, and you go to their books and you quote them and so forth. What are you talking about? This is just a law school and college at, uh, at, you know, course. and so. No, it's not. We're getting it in the classrooms. We're getting it in the media. We're getting it in the Democrat Party. It is unrelenting. So all these white racists who voted in Virginia. And this guy's allowed on television. Another jackass, another clown. Like he knows all of you out there in Virginia. And he knows you're all white racist because you didn't vote. You didn't vote for Terry McAuliffe and the Democrats.
5: Go ahead. Governor. They elected Winsome Sears as lieutenant governor. She will be the first African-American woman to be elected statewide in Virginia history, writes the Wall Street Journal. Nice try. But invoking the name of Lieutenant Governor-elect Winsome Sears doesn't prove my assertion wrong about the role of race in the Virginia governor's election. Not in the least. Look, voting for someone black does not grant absolution from racism. Hey, pal, or being... pal, pal,
2: It's not because people voted for somebody who's black. They voted for somebody despite her race. That's the point. Martin Luther King not Derek Bell. Are you too stupid to understand? Are you too obsessed with your racist hate to get it? Do people go to the polls, white racists go to the polls and say, I'm going to vote for a black person to prove I'm not a white racist? Just listen to how pathetic and how irrational this clown is. Go ahead
5: by the racist dog whistles, or nowadays, bullhorns, that politicians oh, use.
2: I, oh, bullhorn. Now, uh, oh, boy, what does that remind us of? Oh, Alabama? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the bullhorns, you guys, you white racists in Virginia with your bullhorns. That's right. And your racist dog whistle, oh, there's a new profound line, a racist dog whistle. Oh, okay, cool. Is this guy nothing but a, but a punk and a hater? That's all he is. Go ahead.
5: Play on racial fears for political gain.
2: And let's be clear. Racial fears, pal. We're all scared to death of you. Sick bastard. As far as I'm concerned, you're absolutely unhinged. And this is what's being taught in the classroom. This is what's being taught. This kind of stuff. From Michael Eric Dyson and Jonathan Capehart. Go ahead.
5: Having some of your best friends be black or family members be Boy, black. is this guy
2: a bigot in my view. Just look how he, how he creates this, this projection onto quote-unquote white people, having some black friends or black people. By the way, this is critical race theory too, just so you understand. We're not talking about individuals, whether they have black friends or brown friends. We're not talking about individual. When we talk about white supremacy, we're not talking about the Klan or the neo-Nazis. No, no, no. We're talking about the broader white race, the white dominant people, the, the white supremacy that went on, that, that founded this nation. Don't you understand? What are you, a blockhead? Don't you get it? And nothing can change that unless we turn the country upside down. Don't you see
5: Go ahead. Dating or being married to someone black or liking black music and culture is no pass either.
2: Oh, All... oh, I see. So people who marry a white person who's black or a black person marries a white person, I see they're doing that because they want to pass. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? They want to pass. If you're dating somebody of a different race, you're doing that because you want to pass. Not because you like somebody or love somebody. No, 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 no. Jonathan Capehart says, look, look, you don't get a pass. You like black music? So what? You're married to a black woman or black man's married to a white woman? Hey, that's your problem. You don't get passes here? No. You're stuck. Does this not sound like Louis Farrakhan to you, Mr. Bidussi? This is all Louis Farrakhan and his racism and his bigotry dressed up as something intelligent. Presented on television constantly. Jonathan Capehart! He just sounds like a bigot to me. He hasn't said one sensible, substantive thing yet. And by the way, there's no way out if you're white. Don't you see? I don't care, you marry somebody who's not white, you vote for somebody who's not white, uh, you play music that you like, black music, you're just a racist. And that's, that's it, that's the problem. Whether you like it or not, you're part of this white crowd, white group. This is the dehumanization by Capehart, by MED and others. The dehumaniz- dehumanization of the individual. They have said more hateful things about Winsome Sears than anybody I've heard. Than anybody I've heard. The Klan, the neo-Nazi. What do they sound like? If you didn't know their race, if they weren't on TV and they were writing stuff like this, wouldn't you think that that's where they're coming from? Of course. Go
5: ahead. When you hear us talking about granting folks black cards, always remember, it's a joke.
2: I have no idea, and you are a joke, and I have no idea what the hell you're talking about granting folks black. Who is this guy? The hell does he think he is? Granting black folks, Granting folks black cards?
5: Go ahead. Blackness isn't transferable.:
2: Right. Blackness is not transferable. Who said it is? See, he and M.E.D., they don't see people as human beings. They just don't. Cut four, go.
5: With the exception of her support for historically black colleges and universities, I don't agree with Sears on, well, anything.
2: So what? Well, so what? Isn't that the point? You're attacking her, her race. And the people who voted for her, because you don't agree with the Declaration and the Constitution, and you don't agree with capitalism. Right? Isn't that the point, Johnny? May I call you Johnny? Well, I will. I'm going to call you Johnny. Because apparently it doesn't matter what name I give you, because I was one of the votes for Winston Sears. What
5: does that make me? Go ahead. She's super conservative and was a national chair of Black American Black Americans Making America First, whose goal, according to its website, is to promote Trump policy initiatives. So the power of her symbolism only goes so far with me, especially since she was part of a ticket that picked at white grievance and played on racial fears to win. Mm, so no, they al- didn't
2: pick on racial fears. They fought... Marxist critical race theory in the classroom. And you see, pal, we're supposed to teach our children how to be better citizens, real history, how to learn, read, write a quality education so they can make something of themselves when they're older and think independently, unlike you. We're not supposed to use our classrooms as indoctrination centers, as you Marxists insist, but you're taking it now into public schools, in elementary, middle, high schools, moving it from colleges and universities, and now you're all over TV, burping up and spewing your hate. That's exactly what you do, Johnny. We'll be right back. Mud
0: Lovin'
2: I've got one more for you. One more. Remember, these people are all Democrats, or at a minimum, are all Democrats, but they're all, from my perspective, American Marxists, as I explain in the book. Not Soviet Marxists, not Chinese Marxists, American. So you're going to hear Tiffany Cross. I don't know anything about Tiffany Cross, but apparently she works for MSNBC, to all these people on MSNBC this weekend. And Roland Martin. Cut five, go.
5: But but I just got to hear your take on uh, Carvel and his comments on woke speak.
2: And what what Carvel said is uh, there's too much wokeism in the Democrat Party, and that's one of the reasons we lost. Go ahead.
4: Well, just to shut the F up. Because I'm sick of these white men whining and complaining about wokeness when you don't you you like it when black folks and Latinos and young white voters and agents are voting for candidates. How about this, James Carville? How about you go learn how to cut some Lincoln Project type ads for the Democratic Party? How about creating some actual means? Where's the video this morning touting infrastructure bill? How about you go raise money to run those ads on OAN and Fox News? Keep something
2: in mind. Carville has spent his life promoting the Democrat Party. This punk, I don't know what he's spent his life doing. And I'm no special pleader for Carville. But why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you explain why you said, I'm sick of these white men whining and complaining about wokeness when you like it when black folks and Latinos and young white voters and Asians are voting for candidates. One has nothing to do with the other. One has nothing to do with the other. But look at the line in there. I'm sick of these white men whining and complaining about wokeness. Go ahead.
4: Hey, folks, in those various states, how the infrastructure bill is going to benefit them. So I'm sorry, James. I need you to shut up and do your job. Shut up, to-
2: James. Just shut up. F up. Shut the F up. And shut up says Mr. Nobody, Roland Martin. Again, this is what passes for something intelligent and substantive on MSNBC. It's a conga line of radical kooks. A conga line. And the name-calling and the attacks. Go ahead. On people who are doing the work.
5: Well, you know, Roland has strong thoughts. I have to say, um, I think a lot of us feel that way, though, Ro. I, I, and I think it's going to be hard for a lot of people as the changing demographics. You're looking at the screen right now. Um, this is the rising majority of America. And when this group there of people go. starts getting centered, it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people. But after we've been uncomfortable oh, for a lot. Long-
2: what's all that mean? What's all that mean? The changing demographics. You're looking at the screen right now. now. This is the rising majority of America. That means people of color. And when this group of people starts getting center, it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people. We've been uncomfortable for a long time, she says. Go ahead.
5: I'm at this point in history, we're comfortable making people uncomfortable. So thank right, you to my yeah, amazing right.
2: panel. Wow. So what does that mean? What does that mean when the minority is in the majority? That white people now are going to feel uncomfortable? That white people are going to be put upon? This is just out-of-the-closet racism. It's out-of-the-closet hatred. I want you to think about Martin Luther King. I want you to think about his tremendous speeches and the things that he said and the influence it ha- has had on the society. Do they sound like they're, they're talking about the The principles and the belief system of Martin Luther King? The content of your character? They don't even talk about the content of character. It's all about race, 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 race. That's what I meant when I said, this is Louis Farrakhan being spewed by these clowns. Now, keep something in mind. MSNBC, NBC Comcast, that's the big corporation, that's the umbrella, they don't have to bring on one person after another who says almost exactly the same thing, who's filled with poison and hate, throwing around racial epithets, saying the most disgusting things about the lieutenant governor-elect of Virginia, making these racist allegations, hey, you know, demographics are changing, and basically when it's our turn, oh, watch out. And yet this is what's going on. And it's going on Bigly. Big time. I've spent a lot of time on this because it's important. And when we come back after the bottom of the hour, I'm going to hit another aspect of this before we move on. I don't do the hit and run stuff. We take deep dives here because it's very, very important that, that we understand what's going on in this country. That's why I keep saying, and I said last night's show, Sunday on Fox, all these people trying to explain what happened in the election. That's because they're bouncing around like ping-pong balls, one issue after another, what they think will rate, what they think will be in trend. I go, slow down. Maybe I'll cover ten issues a show, maybe I'll cover one issue. Slow down. The reason we know what took place in the last election is because we were the grassroots. We, you, all of you, you did it. Under the radar, for the most part. All right, I'll be right back.
4: With him.
1: Speaking to the four out of five Americans who are literate at 877 381
2: I want to remind you of something. American Marxism, page 111. Zach Goldberg, a doctoral candidate in political science at Georgia State University, at least when I was writing this, undertook what may be the most extensive examination of media reporting on race and racism in recent years. He wrote that in the wake of the protests, riots, and general upheaval sparked by the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, the United States is experiencing a racial reckoning. The response from America's elite liberal institutions suggests that many have embraced the ideology of the protesters. Here, for instance, is a sampling of the titles of opinion pieces and news stories published over the past month, again, some time ago, by the country's two most influential newspapers, the Washington Post and the New York Times. Quote, when black people are in pain, white people just join in book clubs, unquote. Quote, black activists wonder, is protesting just trendy for white people, unquote. Quote, to white people who want to be one of the good ones, unquote. Quote, America's enduring caste system, our founding ideals promise liberty and equality for all. Our reality is an enduring racial hierarchy that has persisted for centuries. The last entry on the list, a lengthy feature on America's caste system in the New York Times magazine, explicitly compares the United States to Nazi Germany. Goldberg continues, what the evidence suggests is that leading publications have not only vastly expanded the definition of racism and actively promoted a more racialized view of American society, in a period beginning under a black president and during which many indicators showed slow and frustrating but consistent racial progress, but have done so in part by normalizing and popularizing the notion of, quote, white people's collective guilt. The latest offering from the New York Times popular podcast lineup is called Nice White Parents and perfectly illustrates the point. The Times' description of the podcast focused on why reform initiatives have failed to fix the problems in American public schools suggested it has found the source of the problem, quote, arguably the most powerful force in our schools, white parents, unquote. Focusing on the Times and the Post, Goldberg found that prior to 2013, the terms white and racial privilege appeared in an average of .000013%, and the term privilege is... 0.000015% of all words in the Times and the Post, respectively. Between 2013 and 2019, these average frequencies grow by an astounding 1,200% in the Times, which was surpassed by nearly 1,500% increase at the Post. Meanwhile, the frequency at which privilege shared the same lexicon space as terms like white, color, and skin reached a record high. So even if you are not a daily viewer or reader of the news, it is impossible to miss the radicalization of so-called journalism these days. Goldberg notes, The spikes for white supremacy in variant terms are remarkable, given that they are by no means novel, and so started from a higher baseline. Until a few years ago, he writes, their usage was likely limited to references to actual card-carrying white supremacists. But as with the term racism, these terms have since been radically expanded, by a rapid and ideologically driven concept creep. White supremacy is now a vague and all-encompassing label. Instead of describing and demonstrably discriminatory ideas and actions of particular institutions or individuals, white supremacy is now understood by many, many progressives, to be the fundamental ethos of the American system as a whole. And the media's use of, quote, white supremacy, unquote, And related terms to describe anything or anyone who does not conform to the critical race theory racist ideology is pervasive. That's me. He says, quote, whatever it used to mean, white supremacy is now everywhere and applicable to any context. Consider that until 2015, terms related to white supremacy almost never registered more than .001% of all words in a given year in any of these newspapers, with the exception of the Wall Street Journal whose upswing was less consistent, this ceiling has been comfortably breached in every year since. By 2019, the New York Times and the Washington Post were respectively using these terms approximately 17 and 18 times more frequently than they were in 2014. So the American media are promoting this racism. And I go back to the start, where I said the American media, the Democrat Party, academia, are racist. And I've also said they're anti-Semitic, which I've talked about in the past and will again in the future. That is what's happening. I've also told you that there's no difference between the media and the Democrat Party as they both, they both embrace this American Marxist ideology. This is why I get frustrated to some extent, folks, when I keep people, I keep hearing them, even on my favorite cable channel or fa- some favorite Republicans. They want to keep talking about socialism, which is bad enough. But socialism is an economic model or ideology. What we're talking about here is bigger than economics. It incorporates it. It devours it. But we're talking about something bigger, a war on our culture and a war on our society. So the word socialism doesn't cut it. You can say they're passing socialist spending bills. Okay, fine. But these are born from this ideology of American Marxism, whether it's critical race theory or lat crit, or whether it's the degrowth movement, and on and on and on. That's what's going on here. That is what's going on. And that's why when people are trying to make sense what happened last Tuesday, they're never going to if they don't understand what was taking place here. Those parents in those school boards... They weren't just arguing for, quote-unquote, kitchen table issues. They were fighting in protests, with signs, in speeches. They were fighting against Marxist ideology that's running rampant in our school system. And they were vociferous. They were vociferous about it. We have establishment Republicans, people in Washington and New York and L.A., trying to tell us what took place. They don't get it. They don't get it. It's bigger than they understand. This is a movement. Not of white supremacists. Not of white people. I say it in the first chapter. It's between people who love this country and may have their differences but need to come together, galvanize to defend it, rally around the cause versus people who don't, who want to fundamentally transform the government, who want to fundamentally transform our economy, And who sound like Dyson, and Johnny, and Martin, and Sanders, and Pelosi, and the rest. That's the battle. That's what's going on. It's not socialism. It's bigger, it's better. But they're scared to death to use it. They're scared to death to say it. Why do you think they're attacking free speech? Why do you think they're trying to intimidate you or threaten you that they will viciously ass- assassinate your character if you dare to step out, regardless of your race or your religion? If you don't embrace their ideology, their Marxist ideology, you're the enemy. And if you're a minority, you're, you're especially the enemy because you're undermining their entire project. You're undermining their project. CRT is a Marxist project. Latcrit is a Marxist project. The degrowth movement. Oh, the Green New Deal. It's a red old deal. That's what it is. That's what it is. So, call it by what it is. I'll be right back.
0: Mark Levin.
2: This weekend I was at the Republican, just a fantastic group, Jewish Coalition, and it was in Las Vegas, and among other things, um, Sheldon uh, Adelson and, and Miriam Adelson were, uh, were honored. He passed a year ago, did Sheldon. These are two great patriots who love this country and wanted to survive as a free country, a humane, compassionate country. But they are really great patriots. And it was my honor to be invited there to speak at the gala. I was the last one to speak, probably the only one not running for president. And uh, my buddy Lee Zeldin was there. The reporting has been horrific. For instance, it accused me of taking a shot at Lee Zeldin. Now, why would I take a shot at Lee Zeldin? I'm the first to endorse him. I want him to be governor. We're friends. He's been on my TV show and radio show. I didn't take a shot at anybody. And this was some left-wing Jewish uh, media entity, by the way. No, I'm all for Lee Zeldin. I didn't take a shot at anybody. Cruz was there. DeSantis. I heard DeSantis' speech. It was fabulous. I heard Pence's speech. It was really great. Haley was there and others were there. Herschel Walker I got to meet. What a great guy. He would be a fantastic senator. And then Chris Christie came in. Kind of the turd in the swimming pool. And by turd, I mean like... You know, dinosaur turd, just big. And uh, so I left as he was speaking. But I could hear some of what he was saying as he was speaking. And uh, he's done this a lot now. He went to the Reagan Library and he spoke to uh, throngs of people. I think there were about a couple hundred. Uh, He spoke to this group of which many had left the auditorium and many were asking afterwards, I know, in the restroom, Why was he invited? Why? Because he's trashing Trump. He's trashing Trump. And despite what the media think, and despite what the never-Trumpers think, or the two-faced types like Christie, who first weasels his way into Trump's circle and then takes shots at it, conservatives and Republicans do not dislike Donald Trump. There is a great deal of excitement for Donald Trump. A great deal of excitement because he did so many wonderful things for the country. And you would certainly understand it, that the Republican-Jewish coalition, he did so many wonder thing, wonderful things for our country and Israel. What has Chris Christie done, period? He was governor for eight years. Does anybody know anything profound or significant or lasting that Chris Christie has ever done? No. Now, I'm always waiting for him, you know, every year, Mr. Producer, to do the, uh, the hot dog contest. How many hot dogs you can eat, but he never shows up. I don't know what's going on there. I don't think anyone could beat Joey Chestnuts, but you never know. Chris might have a shot at it. He's so unimpressive, so thoroughly unimpressive. So, what do the media focus on? Chris Christie. All these other people gave great speeches. But they focus on Chris Christie because he's taking shots. Like Liz Cheney or Adam Kingsinger or Ben Sasse and on and on and on. These people have no chance, no chance of ever being president of the United States. None. But they like the limelight. They like the attention. They're egomaniacs. Gets their adrenaline going. I mean, where else could Chris Christie... Get a crowd, Mr. Producer, seriously. Where? Nathan's is it. That's it. Nathan's hot dogs. And by the way, I love Nathan's hot dogs, so uh, that's not a put down. Or Liz Cheney. Prior to her trying to destroy Donald Trump, she was hated by these people. Now she's despised by conservatives. And these people who presumably love her, as soon as she's done doing their dirty work, they'll throw her to the curb, too. But all that said, it was a fantastic event. I was very, very honored to be invited. Uh, These are wonderful patriots. The people there were so kind. You You would have loved it, folks. Just so many patriots. So many people excited about the battle ahead. It really was quite good. Lindsey Graham was there. Somebody said I took a shot at him. I didn't take a shot at Lindsey. I didn't take a shot at anybody. I got up and said what I believe. And said what I believe. I didn't call anybody out or take a shot at it. I said what I believe, that this is bigger than one election. And that the people in Washington actually think they know what took place. They really don't. And I also told them that unlike the Tea Party that they attacked and undermined, which brought them their great majorities in Congress, they need to embrace this movement now. They need to embrace it. The parents, yes, but it's even more than parents. It's patriots of every walk of life, every race, every background, people who love this country. And that this battle is bigger than one or two elections, even though those are crucial, of course. The battle is a battle against people who are trying to destroy our society and culture. And that I don't believe that many of the establishment Republicans quite comprehend this. McConnell certainly does, and you know what McConnell said about this... $1.2 $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill they passed, which I'm going to talk about a little bit next hour, that it was really great that they did it. No, excuse me. And by the way, billions for a bridge in Kentucky. That's all he cares about. Billions for a bridge in Kentucky. What a schmuck. I'll be right back.
0: He's here. He's here.
2: let me tell you some of the things that are in this bill that uh, 19 Republicans voted for, including Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader. And Trump's right. I've been saying this for, what, a decade, Rich, that he needs to go. In addition to a number of uh, issues related to physical infrastructure, this bill, we're not even talking about the big one. This 1.2 trillion dollar bill, on top of 1.9 trillion that the Democrats passed early on, on top of what half or one trillion, half a trillion that was left over from coronavirus spending before. Just this is why we have inflation. Oilfield Rando points out the Republicans just helped Democrats pass 500 million for tree equity. Tree equity. <coughs> 500 million for the Healthy Streets Program. Republicans just helped Democrats get 500 million for Transportation Resilience and Adaptation Centers for Excellence. Republicans just helped Democrats pass 250 million for the quote congestion relief program, a climate change program that will impose fees for parking and driving during peak hours. Republicans just helped Democrats give universities another $400 million in the bill. Republicans just gave Democrats $1.5 billion for project grants, climate change initiatives. Republicans just forced states to provide an annual list of disadvantaged businesses, quote-unquote, owned by women and minorities, verified by in-person inspections by state officials. An annual listing of socially disadvantaged business enterprises owned by women and minorities to be given to the federal government. Republicans just gave Joe Manchin's wife $1.1 billion for the Appalachian Regional Energy Hub Initiative. Republicans just gave Democrats $75 million for a study on how to enact income-based road usage fees. Republicans just gave the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Area Transit Authority $750 million. Republicans just gave $2.1 billion to North Dakota's carbon dioxide pipelines. unbelievable secure geological storage permitting 50 million four regional carbon capture hubs 3.5 million four regional clean hydrogen hubs 8 million uh, let's see it goes on and on and on it requires the states to consider measures to promote electric vehicles requires them what else so you basically have mandatory state promotion of electric vehicles and charging infrastructure, quote unquote. Let's see here. We've got uh, the bill includes five billion for zero emission and low emission buses, most of them built in China. I'm trying to go through this. Anyway, you get the drift. Now, who are the Republicans in the House that voted for this? All of them should be defeated. All of them. Katko, Bacon, Van Drew, Young, Upton, Kingsinger, Gonzalez, Reed, Chris Smith. Embarrassing. Garbarino, Miliotakis, and Fitzpatrick. I saw Milia Takas, of course, she's on CNN defending this, that she feels we really put the progressives in a box. Now, that's not why you voted for it. New York gets $100 billion. Did you know that, Mr. Baduson? $100 billion out of the $1.2 trillion. That's why she voted for it. That's why Catco voted for it and the other repupes. Who's going to pay for it? Their kids and grandkids? Do they not care about their own kids and grandkids? None of these Republicans can say they're fiscally responsible ever again. Nor the 19 Senate Republicans who voted for it. None of them. Because this is absolutely outrageous what took place here. And this is the bipartisan. Oh, it's bipartisan, so it must be good. It must be great. It's bipartisan. You had 19 Republican senators. 19 Republicans that voted. And who were they? Roy Blunt of Missouri, retiring. Richard Burr of North Carolina, retiring. Bill Cassidy, Louisiana. I detest this guy, Bill Cassidy. Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, real loser. Susan Collins of Maine, self-explanatory. Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, you saw what they got, a huge amount. Mike Crapo, of Idaho. We used to have conservatives in Idaho. Jim Risch of Idaho. Deb Fisher in Nebraska. She ran as a Tea Party conservative. Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Chuck Rasley of Iowa. No surprise there. John Hooven of North Dakota. Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. Portman is retiring of Ohio. Mitt Romney of Utah. Dan Sullivan of Alaska. Tom Tillis of North Carolina, Roger Wicker of Mississippi. Shameless and shameful. Shameless and shameful. I mean, politically it's stupid, but more than that, most of this money is not going to infrastructure. And you see all the crap that's built into here that's going to help the radical left, that's going to impose on federalism. They're all frauds, folks. They're all frauds, every one of these senators. And they'll have a thousand reasons why they did it. Besides, folks, we have another racial problem when it comes to transportation. Are you familiar with this? April Ryan, who's supposed to be a journalist, but clearly is not. Clearly is not. Here she is to uh, talking to Pete Buttigieg at a White House briefing today. Cut 14, go.
0: What can you give
5: us... The construct of how you will deconstruct the racism that was built into the roadways that you talked to the Grio earlier when you broke that information. You see, folks,
2: racism was built into our roadways. Again, if you're reading American Marxism, you'll see everything that's ever been done has been racist. Racism has built into our roadways. How are you going to deconstruct that?
3: Go ahead. How that could be deconstructed? For sure, yeah. So the principle of Justice 40 is that at least 40% of the clean investments in this bill will go to benefit the communities that are overburdened and and, and underserved. So part one of that is defining those those investments that are eligible, and that's a lot of it. And we're working to map out kind of program by program, mode by mode. So these
2: investments really aren't just about carbon dioxide anymore, right? They're about redistributing wealth. To the overburned and underserved communities. I don't even know what that means. Overburned and underserved. Overburned and underserved by whom?
3: Go ahead. What would qualify, for example, if we're uh, buying clean buses, right? How do we make sure, in terms of where those buses go, but also looking at the business opportunity, the jobs that are going to be created, the businesses that that, uh, will have a chance to compete uh, for for the business opportunities it creates. That, too, I think is a very important element of equity here that's in the spirit of Justice 40. And what are you going to do? You're going to uh,
2: dole out government jobs based on race? That's what it sounds like to me, Mr. Producer.
3: Cut 15, go. I'm still surprised that some people were surprised when I pointed to the fact that uh, if a highway was built for the purpose of dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or there would have been, uh, in New York was was designed to... What are you uh, talking about?
2: Where's the evidence for this? Where are, where's April Ryan? She's right there. Can't she say, "Okay, can you give us, you know, give us your, your, data? Give us the information. Give us something."
3: Go ahead. By that, obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. Um, I don't do think mean, we haven't anything- obviously. What? Where are we talking about? Go ahead that simple reality, and I think we have everything to gain by acknowledging it and then dealing with it, which is why the reconnecting communities, that billion dollars, is something we want to get to work right away. All Uh, right, that's uh, enough.
2: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the oppressed and the oppressor. It's not even about carbon dioxide. It's not, not It's the oppressed. Our highways, our roads, our overpasses. Bridges, tunnels, all were built with racism in mind. Did you know this? I didn't know this. They built a damn subway all the way out to Loudoun County, Virginia. I had no idea that that was based on racism, Mr. Producer, did you? Well, I said I was against it. I was against it. And see, intuitively, I knew. That it would create an an unequal situation. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. So tomorrow, folks, I think I'll spend a little bit more time on these degrowth movements and environmental justice. All this sort of thing, because that's what they're talking about as this uh, ideology pervades every aspect of this society. But first, I have a surprise for you. In Trump time, a Journal of America's Plague Year, Peter Navarro. This is a fantastic new book that just came out. Peter, how are you, my friend?
1: Mark, uh, I can't be happier being on your show tonight. And i got to congratulate you. I'm, I'm calling you the million book man. What about the dollars? <laughs> and I'm rooting for you, by the way. There's a cameo of your book in my book, In Trump Time. Um, and there's also a little story about uh, the guy you're, you're probably going to have to compete for, for for bestseller of the year. I know you're going to win because Woodward, I show him actually in one of the scenes in the In Trump Time book. Where I'm actually there, and he relies on uh, two anonymous sources, which do not equal a fact, oh, by the way. Lord. And I show him to be the propagandist he is. So good, good for you, Mark. Um, Here's the uh, good news, quite Peter. Achievement.
2: He's yeah. not even close. Not even close. That book beautiful. really overall That's was a beautiful. dud. And, uh, so he'll be left behind in dust as he collects his millions. But I want to talk about your book because it's really a fascinating yes, book. I want to go right to this issue in the Situation Room with Fauci. This chapter two is fascinating. Fear, Loathing, and St. Fauci in the Situation Room. Take us to the Situation Room.
1: Yeah, it's great. So so it's January 2020. It's January 28th. Uh, The president uh, has dispatched me to the Situation Room. He's already decided to uh, pull down the flights from China, but he needs the support. Of this this nascent task force, right? So I walk in there, Mark, and there's four guys I see. That I know I'm going to have trouble with. You got Mulvaney, the acting chief, at the end end of the table. You got Pompeo's hack uh, on my left shoulder. I'm looking across. See you get this, the Orville Redenbacher or doppelganger. That's Redfield at the CDC and Azar, right? And they're all for different reasons. They're again the travel ban, but there's this little guy across from me, little, little round glasses, didn't know he was a saint, didn't know he walked on water, and I'm in a violent argument with him within 60 seconds. And he's like Bear's parody. He keeps saying over and over again, travel bans don't work. And, and at one point, Mark, I, I look at him, I go, dude, I actually called him dude. I say, dude, it's like, I mean, if there's 20,000 Chinese nationals come in every day <clears throat> from Wuhan, China, and China, into Kennedy, O'Hare, LAX, some of them lit up hotter than a Christmas tree with virus that you think it's best, come on in. And it's, no, 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 no. And that was my first take. And, Mark, I looked him in the eye that day. Again, it's like I had no idea of of who he was, and I thought to myself, he thinks he's smarter than he is, and he's going to hurt this president. But the bigger story that day, Mark, and in the In Trump Time book, was the lie of omission. Because I'm sitting there at that point in time. I knew that virus likely came from the lab. Uh, And what did Fauci know? He knew it was from Wuhan. He knew the virus popped up within yards of the lab. But here's what he knew, Mark, that he didn't tell us. This is the biggest lie of omission in history. He knew... he had given money to that lab, American taxpayer money, to fund those gain-of-function research experiments Rand Paul talks about, which turn a harmless bat virus into a human killer. And what else did he know, Mark? A script scientist told him flat out that that thing likely was genetically engineered. You put that all together, Mark, that little guy sitting across the table, what he should have done was gone right to the president, right to the task force and said, look, I think this might be from the lab. I think it might be genetically engineered. And since we know that that's a bioweapons lab, moonlighting for the People's Liberation Army, it might even be a weapon. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you, Mark, if that guy had told us then, right then, it would have changed everything. I, I, I could have run a strategy which would have saved millions of people worldwide just knowing that. Liable mission, Mark. One of the missions of the In Trump Time book is to get him out of government as the highest-paid bureaucrat and put him right in the jail suit.
2: Now, Peter Navarro, the race, Operation Warp Speed, let me put it that way, that really was a remarkable event led by the President of the United States, Operation Warp Speed, and I don't think any other president could have done it. Explain. Am I right?
1: You're absolutely right. And again, what I'm trying to do in the book is bridge this gap between what the fake news reported and what actually happened. So let me again take you into the White House like I try to do. And, and Mark, I should say that this book is actually based on a daily journal I did, but mm-hmm. not on recollection. I actually took the time going back to 2017. And so February 9th, 2020, at the president's request, he's he's on full alert on this pandemic. I write a memo that says the following. If we act today, that's February 9, 2020, we can have a vaccine by October or November. Mm. And that's exactly the mark we hit. And here's what's interesting. The way President Trump did it was we turned the sequential paradigm of vaccine development on its head. Usually, Mark, what you do as you start, you find some candidates, and then you take the laborious route through three phases of safety and efficacy trials. And only then will the pharma companies be willing to invest in mass production. And we said, no, 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 no. We're going to take that sequential process and, and, and make it simultaneous. Every single one of the companies, and in my memo, the Moderna was there. J and J was there. We said that, like, we're going to be ready to mass produce at least 150 million doses of every one of those possibilities. And if some of them didn't hit, that would be the best money that 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 ever got quote wasted mm-hmm. because at least we'd be ready. And so when this thing hit, um, we we would be ready. And there's a, later in the I'm into homages, and there's an homage to Perry Mason. It's the curious case of the delayed vaccine. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to carry to you
2: over. Yeah. There's too much to talk yeah. about here for one segment. I want to keep your thought there, Peter. Peter Navarro, it's a great book. In Trump time, a Journal of America's Plague Year. You're going to learn everything about this. And so it's really quite intriguing. You can get it on Amazon.com or on my social sites right now. We'll be right back with Peter Navarro.
4: Mark Levin, the Great One. The Great One, Mark Levin. Dial in
2: now, 877-381-3811. Well, folks, I have in front of me really an excellent book, In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Years. Peter Navarro has told us, the author, he kept a journal of what was taking place in what is one of the most historic years in modern American history. So, Peter, I had to cut you off. Continue, if you would, where you left off.
1: Yeah, my homage to Perry Mason. The curious case of the delayed vaccine, as I told you, Mark, February 9th, we write a memo. The boss says we can get a vaccine by October or November. We, we hit that, Mark. But here's what happened. A combination of Fauci, the CEO of Pfizer, uh, Albert Borla, and the, and, the, and the fake news media conspired to delay the vaccine before, so that Trump couldn't get a victory before Election Day. In fact, the seeds of the whole vax hesitation began because of the actions, ironically, of those folks. And I calculate in the In Trump Time book, it wound up being delayed at least a month longer than it could have been available based on President Trump. Um, and that led to the loss of tens of thousands of lives, if you, if you buy the idea that the vaccine works uh, and it certainly helps um, many, many people, including those with comorbidities and senior citizens. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, the, the situation, Mark, it, it's just here, like you and I know politics is, is a blood sport, right? It's it's mm-hmm. brass knuckle stuff. But in the in the UnTrump Time book, I make the point, look, when lives are at stake, particularly millions of lives, you play it straight. And CNN and Jeff Zucker and The New York Times, Fauci in particular, and I'm telling you, if, 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 if everybody reads this book, Fauci's going to wind up in jail because of everything he did. And it wasn't just what people know about now. It's that lie of omission I told you about and many other things in my showdowns with him.
2: This delayed vaccine, it was just a few days after the election, as I recall, just a few days after the election. That's a little too cute, isn't it?
1: Yeah what what Pfizer did interestingly enough is there's a protocol in the in the trials right and um if they hit a certain number of con- what they call confirmed cases then they know they've got something on hand that they could announce and yeah hey this is going to work you know what they did Mark instead of uh, testing the swabs that came in they stored them away purposely so they would delay the time where they would have to announce until after the election. It's mm-hmm. one of the most scurrilous things I've ever seen a pharmaceutical company do. But I've got to tell you that Fauci and the FDA were were implicated uh, in this as well, because Fauci would go out there and, and put pressure on, on the pharmaceutical companies. So there's just a lot. I mean, Mark, the story of In Trump Time and what it means is, like, to get stuff done as soon as possible is really about this, this unbridgeable gap between what the people were told by the fake media during the whole campaign and what actually happened. And, and this book, I hope, will set the record straight on that, including um, how that delay in the vaccine literally led to the death of, of tens of thousands of Americans needlessly. And it
2: gives us some insight into the president himself. So here's what I'd like you to do for us. You worked with him very closely on a number of issues. Yes. yes. Tell the American people what he was like behind the scenes. I, I, you know, I've gotten to know him very, very well, and they don't get a chance to see what the man was like. Tell me. Tell them.
1: Some of the best times during the administration was in the Oval Office when I was with the trade team or with some other uh, members of the administration, just watching him effectively hold court on an issue that was critical either to the economic or national security of this country. And he's always extremely engaged. Now, what do I find him? I find him funny. I find him charming. At times, he will interrupt somebody like almost immediately when they begin to speak because he can finish their thoughts before they can. He's a lot of the chaos that people associate with him is really part of this his, his four dimensional chess game in terms of getting things done. And, and what endears me most about President Trump um, is how he treats just we'll, we'll say the common folk, right? I mean, he'll 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 chew off the head of a Rex Tillerson, but he he is always so thoughtful when it comes to just plain. Working people, and it was an honor for me to serve him. Yeah, I, I don't know if you know this, Mark, but I was only one of three White House officials who served with the president all the way from the campaign to the end. And I think the reason why I survived is every day I went in, I didn't care whether I had a job the next day, and I was 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 truthful with him, whether whether it was was consistent with what everybody else was saying or not. And he and he he loves to hear. Uh, all points of view, he makes decisions tough. And I can tell you, Mark, this man, the whole time he was there, he worked harder than anybody I've ever seen. And he always was was uh, thinking about the welfare of this country. I remember we went to Buenos Aires one time for one of those G20 meetings where we took on the Chinese. And I was like, tip of the spear on the China tariffs and stuff like that. It was an epic throwdown with Xi Jinping, the Chinese communist. But, like, we come back on Air Force One. It's, a, I don't know, it's like an 18-hour flight or something. He sat in his desk the whole time in a suit working. There's a bunch of us in his office there on the on uh, Air Force One. And one by one, everybody, like, dragged dragged their butt out and went to sleep. I stayed with him the whole night. It's the only time I've stayed up all night. And he was working For the people, that's the Donald Trump I know, and Mm -hmm. uh, I just—he's the greatest president in modern history, and he's being followed by what's what's shaping up to be the worst one, and and um, you don't know what you got till it's gone, my friend.
2: And you saw how they tried to destroy him right out. He never had a honeymoon period, as they call it. And we now know, and we all knew, that the Russia collusion thing was a lie, and it appears. Came out of uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC and was promoted by, you know, their hack lawyers like Mark Elias and so on. and the media knew it. The FBI knew it, yes. but they all conspired yes. against Trump. They tried to remove him, tried to destroy him early on. And then they wonder why he lashes out at them and has tweets. You know, it's a funny thing. Yeah. I think if you and I were treated it's, this way, we'd do a little bit more than tweet, wouldn't we? <laughs>
1: We <laughs> Let me tell you something about that Russia hoax thing. I did get into it in the In Trump Time book. That was a very crippling blow to Donald Trump and the administration early on because when when they took out Mike Flynn, and it never should have happened, it set in motion of first where we wound up with McMaster, who was a globalist, never Trumper. That was not a good pick. But one of the things, and people, Mark, don't know this, Traditionally, when you come in, the National Security Advisor gets rid of all the detailees um, in the National Security Council, brings in a fat, fresh batch loyal uh, to the agenda, right? When McMaster replaced Flynn because of that Russia hoax, McMaster didn't do that, and so we wound up with the Fiona Hills and the Vindmans and, and the, the Russia, Russia, Ukraine, Ukraine. Uh, and and they they just, you know... You are what your record says you are. Belichick, football. Donald Trump compiled this beautiful record, not just on the economy, but North Korea, Iran, China, the border. Yet he could have been even greater um, if it it weren't for these lily pushins, like nipping at his ankles. And um, I admired his restraint sometime, while people actually thought um, he, he uh, in some of his tweets. We're, we're over the top. It's like, wait a minute. They're these people are just they're just they're just wrong. They're not mm-hmm. they hate as Corey Lewandowski once said, they they hated Trump more than they love the country. And, mm-hmm. and Corey was absolutely right about that.
2: I agree. And the book is In Trump Time by Peter Navarro, a journal of America's Plague Year, folks. It is really a great book. In Trump Time. And I see Peter Navarro, it's like the tenth book out there by Reporters trashing uh, Trump. There's another one out now by this guy, uh, Carl, John Carl. Betrayal. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're all writing yeah. the same crap. I the mean, this garbage. is like the sixth or seventh or eighth so-called reporter. They never do this to the Democrats. Have you noticed? Yeah.
1: I have noticed that. And I think one of the contributions I can make to history here is that this will be the definitive insider's account uh, of the Trump, Trump years. And, uh, again, it's based on... A journal, every night I went home, no matter how tired I was, I wrote everything down. I wanted it not just for history, but for accountability, Mark. Because one of the things that really surprised me when I got to the White House in 2017 was how many people inside the perimeter were were disloyal to the mm-hmm. Trump agenda. And it's, that shocked me. So that's when I started doing that. And um, we're going to get to the truth in the In Trump Time book about Fauci, about the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and about uh, the president himself and, and everything we did, particularly in that plague year, where where uh, the, the, the conventional wisdom, the lost February narrative is that we weren't on the ball, we weren't moving in Trump time to get it done. I got the memos, Mark, to prove it, starting February ninth, a dozen memos, we, the president was like exhorting me, get moving. And, and we moved in Trump time, and everybody who needed a ventilator had a ventilator. Uh, We we got there's a wonderful story um, in the book uh, They call it the Italian swab job named after the movie where we were able to get a million swabs over from Italy when it was hit with the virus in 72 hours from the time I got a phone call using Pentagon planes. And then Fred Smith over at FedEx, I called him up, the CEO. He got six planes out on the tarmac and we dispersed those million swabs to six different cities, all in 72 hours. These are the kinds of things we were doing, standing up ventilator factories in 17 days. Mm-hmm. I just want to get that side of the story out, Mark, because Donald Trump is, is, a, is an extraordinary individual, and, and um, what happened in 2020 uh, was, just, uh, was just wrong.
2: I, I don't think another president as I said at the beginning, could do what Donald Trump did. It's just his character, his experience, and so forth, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. And Peter, I hear that about you, too. It's in Trump time, a Journal of America's Plague Year, Peter Navarro. This is a fantastic book, folks. I hope you'll grab a copy, Amazon.com. If you're on one of my social sites tonight, you can do it. If you're in one of the bookstores, it's there, too. And I want to thank you, sir. Excellent job, and I want to thank you for what you've done for the country, too.
1: And I'm honored tonight to be with the Million Book Man. You're (laughs) going to be the top guy in 2021. And there is an homage to American Marxism in my In Trump Time book. You'll like it.
2: Thank you, buddy. God bless. Have a wonderful holiday as it comes up. All right, man. He was a loyal, patriotic servant to our great president. We'll be right back.
0: Mark lovin'.
2: The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has blocked the Biden administration's mandate on millions of you to get a vaccine or be tested weekly or be fired. And I told you before, I said it on television as well as here. This is unconstitutional. Plenary police powers belong to the states. This has never been done before. And furthermore, the uh, OSHA has no statutory authority, despite what the liars say in the White House and elsewhere. Well, they have emergency authority. They do have emergency authority. There are certain steps you have to go through, but it does not apply to this. OSHA has no, no authority over vaccines whatsoever. And the federal government under our Constitution has no authority to mandate them either. None. Ladies and gentlemen. People do not understand. Well over 70% of the population in this country, apart from children, have been vaccinated. Well over 70%. We're almost at 80%. And when you consider the percentage of people who've had the virus and have natural immunities, this is just utterly preposterous. And um, there's a great piece at Just the News, Solomon's site. The CDC study claiming the vaccination offers stronger protection than natural immunity is false. It's a lie. It contradicts this massive study done by the Israelis over this summer, with hundreds of thousands of people. Because the Israelis have been keeping data on their citizens and the use of, of these vaccines and so forth and so on, and uh, the CDC is just lying. A friend of mine looked at their data, who's an expert, and said this is crap. And this is why you don't trust the CDC. You don't trust Fauci and the NIH. You don't trust HHS or Biden because they're politicizing all of this. All of it. Just consult with your doctor. You do what you and your doctor decide. So these Isra- the Is- Israelis, I mean, that's no third world country. They're a very advanced country when it comes to medicine and science and technology and that sort of thing. A much larger study this summer, they concluded that natural immunity is more effective, is stronger, and lasts longer than vaccines. And they vaccinated the hell out of their population. The hell out of their population. And so you have a legal challenge with the CDC here. Our children, there is no science to support the mass vaccination of children between the ages of 5 and 11. None. None. And so they have to concoct this stuff. Now, that's what's dangerous with this radical, extreme leftism and the centralization of governmental decisions. But thankfully, our Constitution does not permit this, and the statute Congress passed for OSHA never even contemplated this. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all of you wonderful people, you patriots in this new movement that we have started to cobble together and is now front and center. Washington doesn't get it, and that's okay by us. Keep your chin up.